the Insurance and Injury Law Show back here for another uh, episode. Uh, Savannah, 1-888-990-9646 is always the number to get a hold of you. Help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. Lots of stuff to get to today. The week that was, a bunch of cases and some very uh, interesting websites and calculators that are going to help you through if you have any uh, questions about long-term disability or anything under that umbrella. But we always start with the week that was. How was it? Well, it was, again, very busy, John. Yep. Let's start off with the topic that I talked about last week. Remember one of our former guests, uh, Terry, um, who used Terry to be Corcoran. Corcoran, that's right, who used to be in the insurance industry for several decades. Uh, you know, he listens regularly, mm-hmm. and I always value his input. And one of the things that I spoke about last time in the context of long-term disability claims are ASO agreements, administrative services only agreements. So, in the majority of cases, typically when you go on LTD on long-term disability. Uh, you are getting paid by the insurance company with which you have coverage. But in some instances, it's your employer who's actually paying you LTD, the payments, but they have an ASO agreement, an agreement with an external insurance company that adjudicates the claim. Right. Remember that we talked about They're the, the custodian fact of the claim and the company just They're the ones adjusting it, it yeah, right? Because right. they have the expertise. So the employer is the one who's paying you the benefits, but they need somebody with, with expertise to actually sure. uh, adjust the claim. Uh, and so we talked about that and what that means and what happens if you get denied or cut off in that situation because people who are in that situation get cut off or denied. Mm-hmm. They don't know who to you know, bother or, or, or go up against yeah. the insurance company uh, who's administering the plan but not paying or the employer who's paying but not administering the plan. Sure. And so Terry emailed me and, uh, you know, essentially says that, uh, you know, in his experience, having worked in the insurance industry, uh, you know, the insurance company's client was the employer, right? The employer was the insurance because the agreement was with the insurance company. The employer would pay the insurance company okay. to adjust the claim. And so his advice to people who are sort of stuck in the middle, people, individuals who should be getting LTD but are not getting it. Uh, and the employer is saying, well, it's not our problem. It's the insurance company's problem. But right. the insurance company is saying it's not our problem. It's, you know, go to your employer. Right. What Terry says is be a squeaky wheel. And I'm going to quote him here. He says, in my experience, clients only tell the ASO provider to stand their ground if they dislike the employee historically. But even then, they eventually instruct the ASO provider to cave. So essentially what he's saying is that uh, in most instances, if you as the individual you keep pressing your employer and the insurance company, you're going to get a situation where the employer, your employer, who's the payor, who pays you the LTD, will eventually tell the insurance company to approve you, okay? Now, for most people out there, you know, you're getting confused by this. You don't know what the, what, what is an ASO. You know, Sivan's talking about right, it. Right. It's very frustrating. All I know is that I'm not getting paid. Well, very simple. Call me or email me, and I will deal with both of them. Okay, the gist here is that uh, don't be caught in the middle. Uh, don't fall through the cracks. Don't be in a situation where you're not getting LTD. Your employer is saying it's not their problem. The insurance company says it's not their problem. But at the, end, you know, at the end of the day, it's your problem and your family's problem. So give me a call if you're in that situation, and I'll guide you through the process. So it's basically uh, you know, get on both of them and say, guys, you got to figure it out. Exactly. And I'm not letting you rest until either one of you figures it, it out. It, absolutely. Yeah. But you know, the problem is that everybody's pointing a finger at each yep. other, and you're stuck in the middle, which is why when you come to us, we don't give them that leeway. We basically tell them, you have until a certain date to approve my client for LTD, pay him retroactively or her retroactively. Otherwise, the next day, you're going to get a claim against both of you, right? My client needs the money. We don't care which one of you uh, screwed it up, but fix it. Because Dish. that person, exactly, that person needs the money, their family needs the money, and they're owed that money.
What else you got? All right, let's talk about an interesting uh, individual that contacted me. Now, this person actually lives in Gatineau, in Quebec. So we weren't able to help her because the law in Quebec is very different. Mm-hmm. Uh, we help people from across the country, but Quebec has a different type of law. But her situation or the facts of her scenario are, are instructive. So that's why I'm going to talk about it. It's an LTD claim again. She's been on sick leave since July 2015. She went on LTD with Sun Life on December, uh, in, in December 2015. The insurance company, the adjuster, is constantly calling her and advising her uh, that if she is improving, then she needs to go back to work. And she feels threatened. Uh, She's threatened every time they call. She feels anxiety, a lot of pressure. uh, And now uh, Sun Life had actually given her an actual return to work date, saying that if you do not go back to work by that date, we're going to cut you off. So, of course, again, she is freaking out. She has a note from her doctor, right. a letter from her doctor explaining why it is she cannot go back. And she even saw a psychiatrist. And the psychiatrist is also saying uh, that uh, she should not be going back. But guess what? The adjuster for the insurance company that's responsible for her claim says that her doctor is not giving a good enough reason for her not to go back to work. Remember, we talked about that quite a few times now in the context of disability cases where sometimes there's simply a miscommunication between the doctors and the insurance companies. In other words, the doctors are providing letters and reports, but the insurance companies simply say that's insufficient. For whatever reason, they are not satisfied with the rationale provided by the doctor as to why the person cannot go back to work. So oftentimes when we get involved, we straighten out that uh, miscommunication and get everything back on track. And that you know takes very little time to do. Sometimes the insurance company is still stubborn. They say, no, we just do not accept the doctor's uh, opinion, recommendations for whatever reason. In that situation, we make sure that we get an ironclad letter from that doctor that really hits all the points that explains in detail why that person is unable to go back to work, why they would uh, qualify under the criteria of total disability, And we give the insurance company a deadline. And by deadline, I don't mean a month from now. I say literally a week from now, maybe even less time. And we tell them, look, you have until until that date to put my uh, client on LTD, pay retroactively to when you had cut them off or denied them, put them on on a monthly payment system. And if you don't do that, we are going to do what we always do in these cases. If the insurance company doesn't do what's right, we start a claim against them, a legal claim. And then they can't escape it. They have to deal with it. And that's how we get the insurance company to the table, and that's how we get these claims resolved. Take our uh, first short break here. The number to get a hold of Savan anytime, one 9646 And we'll touch on the injury calculator. You'll want to check it out uh, during the break, injurycalculator.ca. Lots more of the insurance and injury law show coming right up. Talk radio, AM640. One triple eight nine nine zero ninety six forty six is the number. Injurycalculator.ca is uh, something you want to check out. We'll talk about uh, very shortly here. A couple more, or at least some more cases that you've been working on. What's happening? Well, here's another one. Mm-hmm. Uh, this comes from a lady who has been on LTD since August of 2016. Again, the insurance company in this case also wants her to go back to work uh, in a few weeks on a gradual return to work plan. She feels that she is not ready to go back yet. Uh, She's on LTD because of severe depression, anxiety, and suicidal thoughts. Um, She has a psychiatrist. Now, her psychiatrist has put in writing uh, that she's in in no state to go back to work at this point. But she's also seeing a psychologist, and the psychologist actually thinks that she should be able at some point in the near future to go back. So you see there is a problem here between the opinions of the psychiatrist and the psychologist. Now, the insurance company has not cut her off yet. 
but has just given her a return to work plan. And she's very concerned because she doesn't feel that she's ready. And of course, her psychiatrist right. agrees with her. So the question that she has is, uh, you know, what can I do here? What do, what, what do you do in a situation where you have several treating people, in this case, a psychiatrist and a psychologist, and their opinions differ? So if you can think, if you think about it this way, the insurance company is looking at what the psychologist is saying and says, well, your psychologist is saying you should be able to go back. So what do you do? So first of all, my advice would be to see if you can get your psychologist and your psychiatrist to actually talk to each other. Sometimes it's just not possible. They won't do it for whatever reason. Uh, but you know, remember what I always say, uh, whether or not you should try a return to work program depends on two things. Number one, do you feel that you are ready to go back? And number two, are you cleared by your doctor to go back? Now, I have the utmost respect for psychologists. Uh, psychiatrists, however, are physicians, okay, the medical doctors. Okay. And I'm not saying the one is better than the other. But here you have a situation where the physician is telling you you are not ready to go back to work. If the psychologist and psychiatrist can't agree on an opinion, what I would say to the insurance company is, look, this lady feels that she's unable to go back. Forcing her to go back may actually make the situation much worse, right. which would not benefit the insurance company. Uh, and, and what I would tell the insurance company is, no, don't be selective. Don't just look at the psychologist's opinion. Uh, speak with both. And I would propose that you give her more time. So we're not saying that she should never go back to work, but perhaps a psychiatrist feels that she just needs a little bit more time. So I would try and correspond directly with the insurance company, the psychologist and the psychiatrist. But here's the important thing. You know, people find themselves in these scenarios where, again, they are, it's like a volleyball between the experts and, and the, treat, the, the, the treatment professionals. What do you do in that situation? Because really, at the end of the day, this lady, all she wants is to get better. Yeah. But here she's thrust into the situation. She's forced by all of these, you know, all of these parties to go whichever way, and she doesn't know what to do. It's adding to the stress or the anxiety. And again, she said she has suicidal thoughts. I mean, you don't want to push her over the edge. So in these situations, my advice is give me a call or email me. Let me deal with the psychologist, psychiatrist, and the insurance company on your behalf. It's very likely that I'll be able to uh, strike some kind of a compromise with the insurance company because the insurance company doesn't want at the end of the day to drive this lady off a cliff. That's not good for them, not from a PR standpoint, not from a humanistic standpoint, not from an insurance standpoint. So let me see if I can help uh, um, uh, this lady. That's essentially the, the message that I told her. Uh, and it looks like we are going to be uh, able to help her. We're going to communicate with the insurance company. But again, the lesson here is this. If you are stuck in between treatment professionals, try and get them to talk to each other. Yeah. Oftentimes, they will be able to uh, come to some kind of a middle ground because at the end of the day, everybody's trying to do what's right for this person. one 990 is that number, injurycalculator.ca. We'll talk about that here in just a bit. What else uh, What else you got? All right, let's talk about uh, an interesting uh, case that came across my desk. This is not an LTD case. Uh, this one... Uh, reminded me, remember, John, in the last uh, few months, there, there was a story in the news about this nurse in Woodstock in London who's responsible for uh, killing oh, yeah. uh, these elderly people yep. in the long-term facilities. Uh, it's just a horrific, horrific story. I mean, all of us have older parents, grandparents, you know, relatives. Uh, so this is, this is an individual who contacted me uh, because uh, her mother suffered an incident in a nursing home. Uh, the nurses discovered her mom on the ground and they called an ambulance. Uh, she was taken to hospital. They found out uh, that uh, she needs a full hip replacement. Uh, she needs metal hardware, pins, plates, everything in there. And what uh, they found out is that um, apparently another resident in that facility 
got into some kind of an altercation with her mother and pushed her, and this is how the incident happened. But her mother has dementia. Now, we don't know enough about this home, but there is a huge onus on these homes to make sure that they take care of these individuals. And when I hear about something like this, I mean, my blood boils because you're talking about the most vulnerable people in society, right? It's like children. These are people who can't care for themselves. That's why they're in these facilities. One thing I can tell you, John, that uh, these facilities, uh, they have to be held accountable. Sometimes it's not their fault, but you know what? When it is their fault, what I have found is that the only way to alter behavior for these kinds of of homes and just corporations in general Mm -hmm. is to force them to acknowledge that there were mistakes, they have to learn from them, and put in new safeguards. Make sure that the proper investigations are taking place. We're going to be able to help this lady. We're going to probably start a claim on behalf of her mom. Uh, There's a process to do that because, again, she needs a litigation guardian. Because she has dementia, she doesn't have capacity. But in these situations, you know, I, I get these kinds of calls a lot. People who call on behalf of children that have been injured and on behalf of the elderly who have been put in the care of certain facilities and, you know, no one's watching. And uh, It's like dealing with children again. It's like really dealing with children, cases, exactly. Right? And again, this is a very, very serious... She may not be able to walk again, this lady. Right. I mean, I just... It just, again, makes my blood boil when, when I hear these kinds of cases happen. We'll take a short break. We'll get to the injury calculator, some of your emails as well. It is one help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. You want to send us an email, we'll get to those uh, through the remainder of the hour. The Insurance and Injury Law Show Talk Radio, AM 640. 1-888-990-9646 is the number. Help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. And after this, we'll uh, very shortly get into the injury calculator, an amazing tool. And we'll give you some details on that. You got one more case, and we'll get to some of your questions. Uh, what's, uh, what's yeah? Let's happening? talk about one more case. It's mm-hmm. a gentleman that contacted me from Thornhill, Ontario, and he, again, he's been on LTD uh, for a while. Uh, at some point, he was cut off. He appealed, which, of course, every time we talk about appeals, you know, we cringe. Yep. Uh, never heard back. Apparently, retained a lawyer, and a claim was started. Um, now, uh, here's what he says. He says, in the past 14 months, went through a lot of testing, uh, was diagnosed with various things, including severe depression. And here's what stood out for me uh, in the email that I received outlining the facts of this case. He feels that the firm he retained is too busy for him. Apparently, one email he got from the firm, I don't know if it's from a lawyer or an assistant, said to him that his claim won't be resolved for at least three years. My Lord. Exactly. Three exactly. Years. And I can tell you right now that in all the years I've done long term disability claims, rarely, rarely have I had a case that took more than a year to resolve. Some of them do, yeah. but the reason why they don't take that long to resolve, again, depending on the situation and the facts of the case, is because insurance companies are not interested in prolonged legal battles. It's a misconception, it's a myth. Yeah. Think about it. The longer the claim goes, Uh, the more the insurance company has to pay their lawyers. Even if they are using in-house lawyers, lawyers that work for the insurance company on salary, there's only so many claims they can handle at any given point. So if you have a lawyer at capacity because they're not settling claims, now you have to hire a second lawyer. Now, the fact that this gentleman is saying that he feels that the lawyer he retained is too busy for him, big red flag for me. I would would be absolutely enraged if I found out that one of the clients that we represented the firm Right? And we have 19 lawyers at the firm. One of the clients that we have said to me or to Lior, Lior would have the same view, that he or she feels like the firm doesn't have any interest, the firm is too busy for him or for her. That should never happen. 
you come first. If you don't have enough people to work on these claims, don't take on cases. That's my view. So, you know, I, I'll tell you, the, the facts of the case, when I actually delved a bit deeper into this case, there's absolutely no, no reason why his claim has not already been resolved. From what I understand, it's only in the initial stages right now with that law firm. That should not be the case. We'll uh, take some of your emails here in a moment. Give me some details on the injury calculator. Right, Love so this. That's, so, so, so that's a fantastic tool. It's, it's an online uh, database, essentially. And what it does is it allows people in Ontario and in BC, if you've been injured through no fault of your own, a car accident, mm-hmm. a slip and fall, something happened to you, uh, you broke your back, uh, you tore your shoulder, something where you're thinking to yourself, should I make a legal claim for compensation? Well, what can I get? Does it make sense? Is it worth it? Am I going to get a million bucks, you know, like you hear those cases in the U.S., or am I going to get nothing, like some cases in Quebec? Well, if you go to this calculator, it's a, it's a, it's a database of cases, and all you're doing is, is it'll take you 20 seconds. You, you're saying... Um, to the calculator, you're inputting the date of the accident, where it happened, the kind of injury, the severity of the injury. You're not putting your name, right. not putting your number. You're just putting basic information about your injury. And the calculator takes that information, scans the legal database of cases from across the country where other people have had injuries such as yours. And then it spits out at the end a range of damages, a range of, of a value of compensation you could be looking at for your pain and suffering based on all those cases. Get to a question for you. It says, uh, well, basically the question we've, we've often asked, we get all the time, medical diagnosis uh, of an il- illness or an injury. Is that enough to qualify for LTD? No, not, not necessarily. Okay. So, I mean, you can be diagnosed with a certain illness, but that doesn't tell necessarily to the insurance company if you're unable to work or not, right? I mean, you, Good call. for example, you can be diagnosed with, with cancer, but that does not mean necessarily that you can't work, right? We have to figure out what are the symptoms at this point, what stage are you at? So you need a lot more than just a mere diagnosis. But the flip side is that the fact that you don't necessarily have a diagnosis doesn't preclude you right. from being on LTD. And I've seen cases where the insurance companies deny claims wrongly because the doctors haven't been able to diagnose, to actually give a name to the illness, but everyone says that the person is unable to work because of X and Y symptoms. They just don't know. You know and insurance companies often you know, miss the point that medicine has only come so far, right? I mean, we're still, the knowledge is still relatively basic compared to what it's going to be 100 years from now, right? I mean, we're learning as we go. So oftentimes what's important uh, is to look at the symptoms and how those impairments, those symptoms are disabling you from doing your job or from doing any other job. Help at the insurancelawyer.ca. That is the email. Mike says, my wife was in short-term disability for severe depression. Earlier this year, she applied for long-term disability and was denied because the insurance company says that her psychologist letter is not enough and they need a psychiatrist's opinion. We talked about this uh, last uh, last segment. She's been, uh, she's been going to her psychologist for over two years. Does she have to now go to a psychiatrist as well? Well, Mike, it's a good question. And yeah, it does flow from one of the uh, earlier segments. Again, you know, I mean, my undergrad years and years ago was actually in psychology. So I, you know, I, I can tell you I've dealt with psychologists quite a lot and psychiatrists. And I, I don't see one as being better or more knowledgeable than the other. I mean, they have, to an extent, overla- overlapping expertise and, and functions. But, you know, if she's been going to her psychologist for several years and the psychologist is adamant that she is unable to work at this point because of so-and-so, I don't see why the insurance company is saying, well, that opinion is just not valid or not sufficient 
for granting LTD. I'd like to see if there is any provision in the policy, in the LTD policy, that requires her to get an opinion from a physician, from an MD. Right. I doubt that I'll see such a provision, but I'd like to see one. Uh, very, very strange to me, Mike. I can tell you that in situations where uh, insurance companies have declined paying LTD or cut people off, because for whatever reason, the opinions that they've been provided with are insufficient, we've been able to reverse the insurer's positions or force them to the table to a settlement, particularly where you yeah. can show that the psychologist is doing their job. They're providing enough of substance in the reports to explain why the person is unable to go back to work. We'll take a, a short break, one 990 time to get a hold of Savannah. The email is help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. And as we just talked during this segment, you want to know what your pain and suffering could be worth. It's a very simple tool, online injury calculator. .ca as well. It's the Insurance and Injury Law Show, Talk Radio, AM640. one 990 time to get hold of Savannah and his firm. The email is help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. So a person is uh, or has suffered a workplace injury, should they apply? I know you get this question all the time. Should they apply for WSIB and LTD? Excellent, excellent question. So first of all, disclaimer, we don't deal with WSIB. Right. In other words, we, we don't represent you at workers' comp. I, I, I am aware of workers' comp and how it, the interplay is with LTD and other types of insurance, but you know, if you've suffered a workplace injury, I can't represent you in front of mm-hmm. the uh, tribunal for WSAB. But the question is this. You've suffered an injury at work or related to work, and uh, you've been told you should apply to workers' comp to WSAB, but you also have potential access to LTD. Should you apply for one or the other or both? Well, the answer is... From my perspective, you shouldn't be applying to both. You should be. Oftentimes, WSAB, for whatever reason, will deny your claim. Mm -hmm. In cases where they don't, so in cases where you get WSAB, I can tell you that LTD policies have offset provisions. What does that mean? It means that if you are granted LTD, but you're also given WSAB, oftentimes whatever you get from WSAB, the LTD insurer gets a credit. Yep. So that means if LTD owes you $1,000 a month, but you're getting $1,000 a month from WSAB, well, you're just going to get 1000 bucks from WSAB. Or 500 and 500 or whatever. Right, exactly. So the LTD gets a credit, which is why oftentimes if you get approved for both, uh, the WSAB payments will uh, bring your LTD payment to essentially a zero or mm-hmm. close to a zero. But, you know, I do have situations, and it's happened quite a lot, where, you know, we're dealing with the LTD insurer, the person has a WSAB claim, but they've been denied by WSAB, and now they're appealing the decision. They don't know what's going to happen with WSAB. And, you know, in that situation, we are going after the LTD because there is no guarantee here that the person is going to get compensated by WSAB. So if you are injured through work uh, and, uh, you know, you are claiming WSAB, but you have access to LTD, claim both. Give it a shot. Okay, you're not going to be in a worse off state if you claim for both. Help at theinsurancelawyer.ca through email. And uh, Laura writes in, says, my sister listens to your show every week, smart girl. And uh, she told me to call you. I've been off work for over a year because of migraines, fibromyalgia. Uh, my LTD adjuster says that it's time for me to try to return to work program, but I don't feel ready. And my doctor says I should take more time to get better. I was told that if I don't comply with the return to work program, I would be cut off at the end of July. What are my options? Well, Laura, again, this is something we've discussed quite a lot, and many people uh, are in your shoes, so you're not alone. This is an attempt by the insurance company to force you to do something that clearly you're not ready to do, and your own doctor is saying that you're not ready to do. You should not be bullied by the insurance company. You have options. Clearly, you have two options here. One is to comply with their request or not to comply. 
I know many people out there who are listening say, well, what is the point of not complying? If I don't comply, they're going to cut me off. Right. Yeah, they can do that, but it doesn't mean that you're going to be able to go back to work, right? So essentially, it's a question of the lesser of two evils, right? If you are forced to go back to work before you are ready, all that's probably going to do is create a worse situation yeah. for you because maybe you'll be able to work for an hour or a day or a month and then not only are you going to get a, you're going to end up not being able to work again but your situation psychologically maybe even physically maybe even worse off Could exacerbate things exacerbate yeah. exactly yeah. which is exactly why you should not be going back to work if you're not ready and if you don't have medical clearance and your options here again are either to do what the insurance company is saying or not do it. But if you think that you should not be doing it, give me a call first. Let me guide you through the process. Let me even correspond directly with the insurance company and explain to them why you're unable to go back to work and why the insurance company should back off. Mm -hmm. Because if they don't back off and they cut you off or they force you back before you're ready, we're going to take the position that they bullied you and we're going to make a claim against them not only for compensation for whatever you're owed for LTD, but perhaps even for punitive damages. So it's very, very important to understand that you have to protect yourself. Don't just do what the insurance company is telling you to do if you're not ready to do it and if you don't have medical clearance. Don't be bullied by them. It's much easier to fight them than you think. one 990 is a number that Savannah refers to during the show. Question here, so a disabled person or someone with disability asks their doctor, what should they ask that doctor to include uh, in long-term disability insurance or foreign insurance anyway. Okay, so for a report. So oftentimes people come to me and say, okay, I'm on LTD. The insurance company says that they don't have yep. what they what they need from my doctor. Um, what should my doctor be writing? Well, first of all, I can't tell your doctor what to write. Uh, I, can't, I can't tell them that from an ethical standpoint, from a moral standpoint, from a legal standpoint. What I can do is explain to you as the person going to your doctor uh, how to speak with your doctor about these LTD forms and LTD reports. Look, remember what we said. It's not enough that a doctor diagnoses you with a condition. The doctor has to explain why the particular condition or conditions you're suffering from are disabling you from working. Right. You need to have a conversation with your doctor about that provision in LTD policies, in your LTD policy, that deals with the criteria for being accepted into LTD, meaning total disability. What does that mean? If you go to your doctor, John, and you tell your doctor, doctor, I need a report that says that I'm totally disabled. If you're the doctor, you're thinking, well, no, John, you're not. You can yeah. walk, you can talk, you know, you can function. You're not totally disabled because in their minds, total disability means, you know, you're paralyzed from the neck down, right? That's not what it means. So you have to have a discussion. That's why when we get involved with a claim, we often have a conversation with the doctor and explain to the doctor and show them the provision and the policy. It, it, you know, total disability does not mean that you're paralyzed. Total disability simply means that because of X and Y, disabling conditions, you're unable to work at this point or for the foreseeable Your future. Your job, yeah. Your job or any other job, depending on the definition that we're dealing with. So very important to understand that you need to have your doctor explain how known, uh, how long have they known you, uh, what kind of treatments have they prescribed for you, you know that you've been compliant, uh, what kind of disability do you have, what are the symptoms of that disability, um, what's the prognosis, you know you got to have the doctor sort of talk about all of these issues, and in most instances that is sufficient for the adjuster at the insurance company. 
More confusion, make the phone call to Savannah. Start there, one 990 and help at the If you want to know what your pain and suffering should be, there is a tool for that called the Injury Calculator. That can be reached at injurycalculator.ca as well. It's the Insurance Injury Law Show, Talk Radio, AM 640. 1-888-990-9646. You know that number by now to get a hold of Savan and his team. It is help at the insurancelawyer.ca. That's the email address. Uh, Frankie writes in, says, uh, my son got hurt badly in a car accident in January last year. That wasn't his fault. He's a 32, licensed electrician. He hasn't been able to go back to work and his lawyer says that he has to wait till the end of this year to start a claim against the guy that hit him. Why is that? It's a good question. It is a good question, <laughs> Frank. So let's just do some math. January of last year, January 2016, uh, you're told or your son's told by the lawyer, let's not start a claim until December, presumably, of 2017. So almost two, two years, years later. Yeah, basically. So first of all, no, he does not have to wait that long. If, in fact, in cases like this, we are dealing with serious injuries when there is serious income loss. The person can't go back to work for months and months. Do not wait before starting a claim for compensation. It makes absolutely no sense. Very rarely have I seen situations and cases where I've told somebody to wait more than maybe a few months before deciding if to launch a claim or not. Yeah, maybe the kid wasn't 32, maybe he was nine. You, you got it, right. exactly. Youth. Exactly. If you're dealing with people who are underage, oftentimes you want to see how they develop, yeah. how they mature, right. how the injuries end up affecting their abilities at, uh, at school, perhaps at work, right. etc. But in a case like this, no, there's no reason that I can see why you would wait that long. And my concern would be, again, I'm always very, very jittery about waiting uh, close to the limitation period, the two-year mark for starting a claim, because what happens if that's missed for whatever reason? Yeah. The limitation period passes. Well, now potentially your son will be out of time to start a claim. Well, let's say that you know the claim was started in December of 2017, almost two years later. You know, again, why lose those two years? I mean, I understand maybe waiting for a few months just to see how the person, you know, how they're getting better. Maybe you need some opinions from some of the treating doctors. I get that. But to wait almost two years to start a claim for serious injuries, I just I don't think that's good lawyering. Again, every case is, is is specific on its facts, but based Frank on what you've written to us, no reason why this claim wasn't started last year, let alone at the end of this year. I'm concerned about the delay. And you've you've mentioned as as a sidebar to that that sometimes if you wait that long and then retroactively if you get disability you're going to pay a bigger chunk of tax on that right because you waited Is yeah that well that, that's on LTD claims right in personal injury claims like this it doesn't really matter because at the end of the day your settlement is not going to get taxed oh wow okay, okay. so so in injury claims it's a bit different uh, but you know to to your point John <laughs> maybe through his work here Frank's son has access to LTD right and maybe I don't know if the LTD was was being applied for at any point. And what what happens? I mean, let's talk about that for a second. You have people who are on LTD. They've been denied claims. They've been um, caught off uh, LTD. They go to a lawyer, and the lawyer waits and waits and waits and waits before starting a claim. Maybe they try to appeal the decision, mm-hmm. which is very uh, wrong in my view. Uh, and long story short, by the time that they actually resolve the claim, it's two or three or four years later, just like that case that we had mentioned yeah. a short while back where the person was saying that uh, – uh, they were told that it would take about three years to resolve their LTD claim. Well, remember, in LTD claims, if your employer paid the premiums for your LTD coverage or part of the premiums, if you have a settlement down the road where there is a retroactive component of your claim, that will get taxed. The future amount will not get taxed. So, long story short, let's say you resolve the claim a year after you were cut off. Mm-hmm. 
you're going to pay potentially tax on that one year's worth of LTD. If, however, you wait and wait and wait, and let's say there is three or four years worth of LTD payments that you're getting retroactively, you may be taxed on the three or four years as opposed to having those sort of lumped into the future. On the other side. Exactly, and those will not be taxed. So again, there's tax implications, not that I'm an accountant, okay, again, a disclaimer, Mm -hmm. but I don't like waiting. I don't like the fact that lawyers oftentimes just shove a case, right? And you know, you check with your lawyer two years later, what's happening on my case? Oh yeah, yeah, we've just gotten around to starting a claim. Come on, give me a break. If you don't have the resources, if you can't, you know, push the the gas pedal on 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 your claims, your clients' claims who who need this money, uh, then don't take on these claims or get more people to work on them. As far as updating insurance companies with medical stuff, how often should you do that? So that varies from case to case, insurance company to insurance company, uh, and policy to policy. But generally speaking, you know, my clients get asked, I would say probably every month or two months or three months for an update. Nothing unreasonable about that. Right. Uh, don't get militant with the adjuster when they ask you for updates. It's their job to ask for updates. Uh, but yeah, once every few months, again, depending. I mean, if you have somebody who broke a vertebrae in their back and they're never going to walk again, I don't know yeah. that the insurance company is really going to be bothering you every few months. Uh, but very important to make sure that if you are asked for an update, you provide that update. And I know that sometimes it, it just seems like the insurance company is harassing you. And sometimes they do, by the way. Sometimes I do have cases where insurance companies really harass individuals unnecessarily. It's clear that the person is not going to change. Their condition is not going to change in a month or two because of the severity of the condition. So what I tell people is, well, let me handle the case then. Let me deal with the insurance company. You're not going to have to deal with those calls and emails. I'm going to be dealing with those calls and emails. And I'll only come to you when I actually need something from you. In the meantime, you, John, you go home, stay home, try and get better, go to treatments. Don't worry about that phone call or email or letter from the adjuster. My team will deal with that. Got about uh, two minutes left in this segment. Let me get a quick email in here if we can. Melanie writes in, says, I'm an LTD, was recently let go from my job of eight years. Uh, recently, uh, or at least I received severance pay, and my insurance, uh, my insurer says that they don't have to pay me LTD until my severance runs out. I don't see anything in my LTD policy that allows them to do this. Can I fight that decision? Fantastic question, Melanie. And, you know, this is interesting because many people assume, they're told by their insurance adjusters that if they're let go while they're on disability and they get severance, that the insurance company is entitled to a credit of that severance. So several issues here. Number one, Melanie, let us help you with the severance as well. That's not my field, that's Lior's field and the other lawyers who do employment law. I don't even know if you got proper severance, so we can deal with that for you. But with respect to your insurance company claiming a credit for the servants, if your insurance policy, your LTD policy, doesn't have a provision that allows them to get a credit for the severance, they're not, then they're not it's entitled. It's not automatic. To, no, it's automatic, exactly. And so oftentimes, insurance companies' adjusters would simply assume that they're entitled to this credit, but they are not. Uh, let me have a look, Melanie, at the policy. Literally, it'll take me two minutes to figure out mm-hmm. if you're correct, if there's no provision in there. And then if you want, I can correspond with the insurance company really quickly, no charge, and I'll tell them you cannot deduct Melanie's severance. And if they insist on doing so, well, then you have a claim, a legal claim that we can pursue for you if you want. one 9646 That's the number, Melanie. And for everyone else as well, the email help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. If you haven't checked it out, check uh, fightformyltd.com as well. Some very useful information on there. Maybe we'll touch on that as soon as we uh, come back here. The Insurance and Injury Law Show, Talk Radio, AM640. one 9646 is the number. Let's uh, let's talk about this. As I mentioned, just going into break and fightformyltd.com. 
So that's a great site as well, very important. Uh, many people have been using it. What it is, is it allows you to go on that site and answer five basic questions, very simple questions. We'll take you 20 seconds about mm -hmm. your LTD case. It'll ask you if you have any doctors supporting your disability. I'm not asking for details here. I just want to know, do you have doctors who are saying that you cannot work? What's your age? Um, did the insurance company cut you off or deny you? You know, really basic questions you can answer literally in five seconds if you're having problems with your LTD insurer. And then there is a submit button. And once you click on that, I get that email and I assess really quickly and give you a preliminary assessment very fast as to whether or not you have a case. It's free of charge. Right? For people out there who don't want to pick up the phone, don't want to email me directly, go on that website, fightformyltd.com. And uh, it also has some uh, information uh, about how to bolster your LTD claim, uh, some myths that mm -hmm. you should be aware of about LTD cases, uh, sorry, LTD claims uh, and insurance companies. So a very, very useful, simple website allowing people to just fill in five simple questions. Five simple questions, and I can tell you if you have a potential case or, or, or not against your LTD insurer. Fightformyltd.com is that website. You know, doctors often charge uh, a certain amount of money for filling out long-term disability injury cases, forms like that. I know my doctor at the beginning of the year said, so, send us a check for this amount. We got you covered right. for everything. It's an option if you want it. Is there, is there other options? Well, so, so that's an interesting question. People often say, listen, it's going to cost me 40 bucks, 50 bucks, whatever it is, maybe yeah. even more for my doctor to do X, Y, and Z. Unfortunately... Uh, you, you need to pay those reports. What I can tell you is that if you are denied or cut off LTD, if you come to us and we are helping you, we are the ones, our firm mm -hmm. actually fronts those costs. So when we fight an LTD insurer, and this is key here, uh, you're not getting charged for anything. Our fee is at the end once we get a settlement for you. Right. Okay, But that also includes the expenses along the way. Uh, whatever expenses there are for medical records, what, whatever those are for mediator, if we go to mediation, we pay for everything. You're not fronting any of the costs. But if you know you you're just applying for LTD and uh, you're you know you need to give them updated uh, assessments or reports from the doctor, there is no other way that I know of right. uh, to to um, be able to pay for those reports. Email it is help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. Samantha, next one up says my husband was in the military years ago and suffers from PTSD. He has uh, LTD through his current work and recently has had to apply because of personal circumstances that significantly aggravated his condition. His LTD insured denied on the basis that he was, uh, quote-unquote, insufficient medical support. That's why, to prove that he had, uh, had been disabled or is disabled. I don't understand this. We've, uh, we've got letters from his doctor and his psychiatrist he has been seeing for years. Can you help us? Boy, isn't that a slap in the face? Yeah, right. I have the utmost respect for uh, people who have been in the military and their families. Uh, just deep, deep respect. And, you know, when you hear something like this, the guy is suffering from PTSD, which makes complete sense. And now he needs to go on LTD, and the insurance company is saying that there is insufficient medical support to confirm that he qualifies for LTD. That is absolutely insane. Um, Samantha, I'd like to see the uh, letters from the, um, the psychiatrist and the family doctor. Um, and, and in fact, I would probably ask uh, for some more medical documents from the family doctor, assuming this family doctor has been treating your, your husband for uh, a few years, more than just one or two. Um, I, I'm very surprised here that the insurance company has taken this position. I can tell you that uh, with the proper reports, uh, we can force the insurance company to come to the table. Mm -hmm. uh, if they don't, we'll start a claim. 
And once we start a claim, they will have to uh, deal with all of the issues here. And I'll tell you, I mean, if, if, even even if it's a matter of shaming them into compensating your yeah. husband, uh, I'm I'm more I would be more than happy to do that. I mean, this just is it's just bad, just bad. I mean, you have people like this uh, who have really, really, uh, you know, given their lives, their service uh, for this country. And insurance companies are just taking advantage. It's just wrong. So people, uh, someone may have, you know, disability symptoms, but they haven't seen a doctor yet, haven't had the uh, proper diagnosis, I guess, doctor's diagnosis. Can they still or should they wait to uh, apply for LTD? No, no, the, uh, you should not. And remember, we talked about this before. You know, you may be treated for a certain symptom or constellation of symptoms that are disabling you from working, but the doctors can't figure out what the diagnosis is. Right. Or perhaps they're diagnosing you with different things, right? The different doctors have different opinions. That does not mean we sh- you should be waiting to apply for LTD. You should be applying for LTD as soon as you are unable to go to work. If you have LTD coverage and you have symptoms or impairments that disable you from working, go ahead and do those treatments, go ahead and do those tests, wait to get whatever diagnosis you need to get, but apply now. Again, don't delay. People just take their time and they just delay these things for absolutely no reason. There is no reason to delay. If you're unable to work, apply for LTD or STD, whatever you have through your company. Mm-hmm. Now, don't wait. Do you think the insurance company is going to say we're going to wait and wait for a doctor's report? But that doesn't matter. Just apply anyway. Absolutely. Right? And they can yeah. definitely do that. And they've done that in the past. And, you know, when somebody's come to me and said, you know, I, my doctors for the last couple of years haven't been able to diagnose me. They're treating me. They're testing me. I'm going, I'm like a lab rat. They're going through everything, you know, in the downtown hospitals in Toronto, the major hospitals. And they can't figure out what's wrong with me, except that no one says that I'm malingering. No one says that I'm lying. Everybody acknowledges that I can't do my job. But the insurance company says, no, we don't have a diagnosis. Well, my response is, let me take a look at the LTD policy, and I want to see where it says that you need to have an actual diagnosis, because that's usually not the criteria for getting accepted for LTD. The criteria is whether you are totally disabled, and those criteria are generally defined by your ability to work, not whether or not there is an actual diagnosis. Right. So don't wait. And if the insurance company is giving you the runaround and tells you we're going to have to wait, come to me right now. Let me deal with them. I'm going to give the insurance company exactly one week to respond or we start a claim against them. So basically, as long as your doctor says, you know, you haven't got a label on it yet, but you're, he can't work. He's disabled. You qualify. Exactly. So long as, as it's more than just that one line. Right. It's actually explaining the constellation right. of symptoms and how it's disabling you from working. Absolutely. And you know, these kinds of people who usually have that situation happen to them. Usually they're being followed by several specialists in addition to the family doctor. So they don't come to me usually with just a simple family doctor's report that's a one-liner. Usually they come to me with MRIs and CT scans and all that kind of, exactly. So we have a lot of documentation, a lot of stuff that we can just throw out there at the insurance company if we have to start a legal claim. And I've never had a situation like that, particularly with uh, cognitive type of issues, so mental uh, type issues, uh, where somebody has issues with concentration, uh, or somebody has issues with memory, things like that, where we've had you know volumes of volumes of medical opinions saying that the person can't work, but there's no clear diagnosis. Right. I haven't had a situation where we weren't able to force the insurance company to pay a sizable sum to compensate the individual. Good for another week, man. Lots of information there. You need to get a whole savan outside of uh, the show hours. one 990 9646 If you haven't uh, emailed it, it's help at the You can also find out what your pain and suffering could be. It's very simple. It takes uh, about 30 seconds to go through this. The injury calculator at injurycalculator.ca. And any questions, fightformyltd.com as well. Lots of information all around online. Until next time, the Insurance and Injury Law Show, Talk Radio, AM640.